welcome to the LifeBridge podcast. We exist to practice the way of Jesus, participating in God's kingdom coming in Dover as it is in heaven. My name is Tyler Saldana, and I'm the pastor of our church community. We are so grateful that you're checking out our church's podcast. We pray that the Spirit uses this podcast to encourage you in your following of Jesus. Good morning, LifeBridge, and thank you for the pleasure and privilege of being able to speak here this morning. I'm going to be speaking, the, the message that, that I'm bringing is from John 17, 20 to 26. So if you, uh, it's in your bulletin or uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and see my glory, the glory you've given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is God's word. So I grew up in the 1980s. I graduated from high school in 1986. I, I, uh, here I brought my, uh, I'm going to put this on for you. And um, so I find it really entertaining that now the, the 80s look is kind of back in. What I thought back in 1986 was cutting edge fashion is now retro and vintage. My parents still live in the house I grew up in, so periodically my girls will find a piece of clothing or accessory stashed deep in the catacombs of their house that is true vintage 80s, and that's how this jacket showed up in my house one day. And this prized item will be brought home, and they will wear it proudly, especially Meredith. She loves, like, vintage 80s. She brought that home and thought it was the greatest thing ever. A very distinct memory of mine from the 80s is high school track. I started running long distance in seventh grade. Before that, I'd never even run a mile without stopping. When I was introduced to distance running, though, at the age of 13, it seemed like an appropriate pastime for my very hyper self. I had all kinds of energy and was constantly fidgeting. So I took it up, and my parents were greatly relieved that I finally had an outlet for my energy, other than hurtling over the sofa 100 times a day, which I really did. I would just like jump over, over and over, and my mom would be like, stop it. Um, I found running a great way to expend that extra energy, so I really became obsessed. 
then I was pretty successful. By ninth grade, I became a serious runner and became very serious about track and field. I listened carefully to my coaches and the upperclassmen, and I followed all the protocol to my best of ability. We had, in the spring of 1983, a very specific warm-up routine. A senior shot putter named Ruth Scott led this routine. Ruth was a tall, muscular, sizable young lady with all the bulk and presence you might imagine from a successful shot putter. She would always lead the team out to the football field, taking big purposeful strides and holding a huge boom box on her shoulder. And for those of you that don't know what a boom box is, it's a big square rect or rectangular portable stereo. And, and in the 80s, a good one was, was big. So you had to have some muscles to carry it. And, and people actually walk around with those things on their shoulders and play music. Um, and she would stride out every meet with that on her shoulder, and the rest of the team would follow her like a string of ducklings in tracksuits with Michael Jackson's song, Beat It, playing at full volume. So this was how we always started our warm-ups. Every meet, every practice to this song. Not long ago, I was revisiting and listening to some of the 80s records that I still have with my girls and we put on that Michael Jackson Thriller album. When the song Beat It came on, it brought back all kinds of nostalgic memories. I could even muster up the scent of Ben Gay, that distinct smelling ointment that we would rub onto our sore muscles, just by listening to the song. And then amidst my reverie, I started listening to the words. And there were some words that especially stuck out. Beat it, beat it, no one wants to be defeated. It doesn't matter if you're wrong or right, just beat it. And it hit me that this was kind of a twisted mindset. I've listened to this entire song a million times. I probably still have every word memorized. And this song was first popular back in 1983. The song, which was first popular back in 1983, is promoting a mindset that really is harmful. It's harming our communities and churches today. Basically, the idea that we as people are not willing to back down and listen. We often get to a point where we're not even sure what we're fighting for, but we know that we don't want to be defeated and we will hold our stance no matter what. We just want to come out on top. This morning, I want to talk about polarization and how God calls us to create our uh, how God calls us to create unity in our lives and in the church. I'm going to discuss moving away from that either or mentality, working together as a family of God, and creating a common goal. This morning's passage in John is often referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. This prayer, which was prayed by Jesus prior to his death, is often called Jesus' high priestly prayer because Jesus intercedes with God on our behalf, on behalf of the disciples, both present and future, so on our behalf. This prayer is full of pleading and despair. Jesus has tried to prepare his disciples for his coming death and resurrection, but they still fail to completely understand. The, the disciples still have visions of a Messiah of worldly power like King David. Although the disciples have seen Jesus in action, they still have not fully grasped the very different character of Jesus' ministry. 
The key, though, to this future ministry is that Jesus is leaving the disciples, but he is not leaving them alone. The Holy Spirit will guide and accompany them as the Holy Spirit does us today. Jesus prays that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe you sent me. This unity Jesus calls for in his prayer is a union necessary to further God's kingdom here on earth. One of the issues that have plagued and continue to plague the church is this either-or mentality. Instead of being focused on our mutual belief and commitment to Christ, we're often mired in the depths of either-or mentality. We make the assumption that within each issue there are two entities, one that is good and correct, one that is wrong and evil. Renowned psychologist Carl Jung studied human development, and part of this study was delving into whether or not humans were willing to move beyond polarized thinking and embrace tension and complexity in life. His result was the following. He discovered that polarization is regress into childlike thinking. When we particularly dislike something about a person or people group, uh, that is a childlike thought process. We deem it necessary to accumulate facts and antidotes about why we should hate or fear them and how they need to change. It's hard to dialogue and interact with people that are different and have different views or convictions. In fact, sometimes we cling to our views and convictions like a worn-out security blanket, and sometimes we're not even sure why we have them or believe in them. Like in the song I referred to earlier, we get to the point where it doesn't matter if we're wrong or right, we just don't want to be defeated. Somehow, I couldn't find any scripture to back up that mentality, that it doesn't matter if we're wrong or right, we just don't want to be defeated. But ironically, it's really pervasive in churches all over the country. However, when Christians respond in polarized ways, we're not responding as mature Christians or Christians following Christ's example. We are, in fact, responding as spiritual infants. When we live by polarization, we decide to accept the perspective that there are only two poles to choose from, when, in fact, there are many complex areas in between. Take, for example, the poles of conservative and progressive. If we cling tightly to one pole or another, rather than love and accept our brothers and sisters in Christ as they are, then we totally ignore John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. It doesn't say, so whoever is really conservative or whoever is really progressive or whoever you can pick your poles will have eternal life. Instead, we are shown that Christ's love is extended to all. What if we as Christians and we in churches started embracing what brings us together to worship, our love and commitment to Christ, and we stop focusing on areas where we differ? In the various polls that the church, in the various polls that, the, that churches often put up, there are issues like women in ministry, divorce, participation in the LGBTQ community, wearing masks, not wearing masks. We could, the list could go on. In our passage today, 
as the disciples did when Jesus originally prayed the prayer, we need to look at this prayer because it describes Jesus' hope, vision, and a picture of what his followers are to look like and how we are to live together. It's clear that his words are meant for everyone then and now as he prays, those who believe in me, Jesus prays, all may be one. To be a follower is to be part of a greater whole, a greater family. We are one in Christ. We are one in Christ whether we agree with each other or not. What if instead of focusing on being polarized, we focused on bringing people God's love? I truly believe that barking out a list of dogmas will never bring people to Christ. I hear folks say, well, you have to draw the line somewhere. Do we? Or is that God's work? What if we introduced people to a loving relationship with Jesus and walked alongside them in love and true friendship? And through those relationships, we all grew in Christ. We all would have changes in our behaviors and thoughts and beliefs. And as our relationships with Christ deepen, our convictions would grow. Maybe our lines that are drawn are different. Maybe for one person, social media is consuming their lives and keeping them from growing in a relationship with Christ. Maybe a line needs to be drawn there for that person. Maybe another person goes days without looking at social media, and that's not a stumbling block. Maybe one person can drink a glass of wine at a party and not feel the need to drink anymore. Maybe for another person, alcohol becomes a daily obsession and, and need and chemical dependency, and that becomes a line that needs to be drawn. Maybe for one person, overeating is an issue that is consuming their lives. Maybe for another person, that is not a problem at all. So our lines are drawn in our walk with God, but they are drawn as we become convicted and learn to know God and fellowship with him, and our relationships deepen. I grew up in a Mennonite home. I was more of what I guess I would call a mainstream Mennonite. I didn't wear a covering. Neither did my mom. My dad didn't wear a plain coat. Um, they, we looked we, like regular people. We didn't have that telltale sort of Mennonite-like looking um, exterior. But both of my grandfathers wore plain coats and both of my grandmothers wore cape dresses. From the stories that my parents have told me, there were many sturdy, deeply rooted poles in the conservative church. One was either you wear the right size covering or you're a sinner. Either you don't listen to the radio or you're a sinner. Either you don't watch TV or you're a sinner, and the list goes on. My dad's second brother, Ralph, took a trip out west with some friends when he was in his late teens. The car they took had an AM radio in it. They were explicitly told that they were not to listen to that radio. That was sinful. That was worldly. No radio. During the course of the several-week trip, the temptation grew too strong, 
and the radio was turned on. Somehow, this information ultimately made it to the ears of the church elders, and there was a disciplinary hearing and a required public confession in front of the church. I doubt this action helped my uncle understand Christ's love and being. So what if instead of policing everyone to think the way we do, we challenged ourselves to love others unconditionally as Christ does? What if instead of focusing on where other people should draw the line, we focused on where our lines need to be drawn? Sometimes I think the church is very busy focusing on where the lines should be drawn for other people because it keeps them from really looking inside at the work that needs to be done individually. If we have some general line drawing, and often that line drawing doesn't affect a huge percentage of people in the church. It's easy for us as Christians to say, oh, well, I don't do that, I'm good. Instead of looking deep inside and saying, okay, well, what do I do? Where do I need to be challenged? Where do I need to draw the line? So um, through that love, instead of through our random condemnations, we might actually bring people to Christ. And might they, through knowing and loving Christ, be convicted in the choices that they make to follow him. And through following him, there naturally will be differences in our lives as we choose to love radically as Christ did. Do we really further God's kingdom by maintaining an either-or mindset? As Shane Claiborne says in The Irresistible Revolution, most people can't point out differences in how Christians live. Christians live pretty much like everyone else and sprinkle a little Jesus in along the way. Few people have little interest in a religion that has nothing to say to the world and offers them only life after death when what people are really wondering is whether there is life before death. Claiborne continues saying that Jesus came not to prepare us to die, but to teach us how to live. If we are living in brokenness and polarization like the rest of the world, how are we following Jesus' calling? How can we be salt and light when we are just as divided as those outside of the church? The second way we can promote unity in the church is by strengthening our familiar, familial bonds in the church. In John 17, 22 to 23, Jesus says, I have given the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought in complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and loved me, and loved them, even as you have loved me. Through that complete unity. In these verses, Jesus is calling for believers in him to have unity. He tells us that this unity will show the world that God sent him and loves them just as he loves Jesus. As we walk together, we often refer to our fellow Christians as being with us in the family of God. I've never met a perfect family. I was blessed to grow up with two loving, supporting parents and three amazing sisters. But despite all the great aspects of my family growing up, they were and are far from perfect. 
My family with my husband, Joel, and, and our three daughters is a tremendous blessing and gift, but we are far from perfect. Families argue. We disappoint each other. We say hurtful things, whether intentionally or unintentionally. We can do all of this even when there's plenty of love in the family. The, the, the church is also a family. We are a family of one Lord and one faith. We can also act like a family. We can bicker, we can judge, we argue, we hurt each other's feelings. We can pout and storm away, threaten to leave. I remember going through a phase in third grade where I would periodically threaten to run away. I would pack my blue suitcase with white polka dots, walk to the front door and announce, I'm running away. We do that in church sometimes. We argue, we pout, we threaten to pack up and leave. We can also love each other fiercely. We can ask for forgiveness and extend forgiveness. We are there for each other during life's ups and downs. If there's ever a need, the church family is often loving, supporting, and meeting that need. <clears throat> One of the greatest ways that a church can show the kind of unity that Christ is asking us to show is for people who are pro-mask and against mask, pro-gay marriage, against gay marriage, pro-female pastors, against female pastors. The list could continue, but I think you get the idea. For us as brothers and sisters in Christ to walk away from our poles, shake each other's hands, or better yet, hug each other and say, you are my brother, you are my sister. The peace of the Lord be with you. In other words, our familial bonds in Christ are what defines us as Christians, not the poles that we cling to, not the political values that we have. It is our unity in Christ. A friend of mine once told me that she never wanted to get married and have children because the family she grew up in was so miserable that she never wanted to risk repeating that. If we as Christians are constantly bickering judging one another instead of embracing and supporting one another, we're not following Jesus' call for unity, and we're not presenting a very attractive option for nonbelievers. We often in families and church families can focus more on the wrongs others are doing instead of how we can improve the part we play in the family. Henry Nouwen in Dare to Journey talks about acknowledging what lurks in the heart. We all have our own blind spots and our own defense mechanisms. I know I do. And the ability to rational away, rationalize away personal issues. So often, instead of delving into what Christ is calling us to examine in our own individual lives, we often focus on what others are doing wrong. Whether in our biological family or in our church family. We talk about this being wrong with this system, the world, uh, the church, or the workplace. Now one continues saying that in doing this, we fail to acknowledge what lurks in our own hearts, and we fail to see how often we are actually contributing to the problem. Now one calls us to look at ourselves because so much of what is wrong with our world, our church, our workplace, is what is wrong with us. One of the ways we can strengthen our church family at LifeBridge is by stretching our arms out to others in love rather than inflicting judgment. We at LifeBridge do intentionally work to show our love and unity for one another. 
We surround each other in prayer in a time of need or rejoicing. We bring meals. We help provide transportation. We help one another with building projects and moves. We, my family, I personally have experienced so much of the love from this church at LifeBridge and from all of you here in so many unique individual ways. We do work together and I do challenge myself as much as anyone to continue that good work in God's family, but also to continue to extend peace and love to each other even when we differ on policy or doctrine. Researchers at Michigan State University looked into qualities of a healthy family. One of the qualities they found healthy families possess is unconditional commitment to each other. This commitment that was, was not only extended was when families agreed, but an unwavering commitment even on issues that they did not agree upon. We need to view our church family in the same way. We need to extend an unwavering commitment to one another. Finally, we can promote unity and steer clear of polarization by focusing on common goals. A major epiphany I had during COVID was that even those in the church who had a completely different approach than I did as to how the, the church should respond to COVID, in the end, we had one commonality. We all felt strongly about our approaches for the very same reason. We wanted what was best for the church. We had that common goal. We wanted what was best for the church. We had different ideas on how that goal should be reached, but our deep passion was what was best for the church. Once I started focusing on the common ground that we shared, I was able to stop clinging so desperately to my particular pole and love and embrace my brothers and sisters in Christ, in Christ regardless of our differing stances. It certainly was a process and a journey for me, but I came to realize that just as surely as I felt my ideas were what was best for the church, so did others who had completely opposite stances. This is exactly what polarization has done and continues to do. It separates us and pulls us apart when reality, we could be taking time and energy and focusing on where we are alike, where our common goals are, and what our most important common goal is as a church, to follow the greatest commandment, to know love and follow Jesus and love our neighbors as ourselves. In John 17, 26, Jesus says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. It is our love and unity that best introduces others to Jesus, not our self-righteous opinions or judgmental statements. We promote unity through creating common goals, and regardless of our stances on various issues and the way we vote at the polling booth, we can embrace the full beauty of what it means to be a Christian by acknowledging that we all join the family of God through our love and acceptance and commitment to Jesus Christ. 
We can follow this common goal by working together boldly and lovingly, by embracing one another as fellow believers and extending that love to those around us. We can invite others to learn to know Jesus and through that relationship discover the life-changing transformation that Jesus offers. Life-changing transformation doesn't happen by being forced to stand up in front of a congregation and admit that you listen to the AM radio. Life-changing transformation comes when we engage and dig deeper into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe, at some point, that relationship with Jesus might convict you to not listen to the radio. Maybe there are reasons it is causing stumbling blocks in your life. But the reality is, the convictions we have through our relationship with Christ are not always the same. What is always the same is our common goal of loving God with all our heart and soul and loving our neighbor as ourselves. As Pastor Tyler mentioned the past few Sundays, we work together as a church to learn together. We learn how to let go of power and control. We work together to learn how to fellowship together when we're vulnerable and honest with each other. We have true fellowship. We feast together through communion and communal meal, and we pray together by focusing our attentions and affections on God and, by extension, others. We at LifeBridge find many ways to not only love one another in our congregation, but to love our neighbors, whether it's a sister church in Columbia, local folks from other countries that are undocumented and trying to navigate life here in Tuscarawas County, or those recovering from substance abuse. This is what Christ is calling us to do. It is through this kind of unity that people around us will come to know and believe who Jesus Christ is, the way, the truth, and the life. It is important to remember that we can have unity in Christ without being fully unified on various issues. What unites us isn't our politics, but the person of Jesus and his kingdom. When people see that, the kind of unity that only Christ can bring, the kind of unity that our faith inspires, and the Holy Spirit empowers, lives are truly changed, and the world is transformed one life at a time. We don't need to beat each other down and hold to our views regardless of who's wrong or right just because we don't want to be defeated. In fact, sometimes we are all saying the same thing, just speaking a different language. For example, I could hold this coat up and I would say, this, this coat is black. And people would say, yeah, of course, this is black. And depending on the language I spoke, I could say, mais non, c'est noir. And I would be correct. It is noir also. Or I could say, pero no, no es noir, es, esta chaqueta es negra. And I would be correct also. So sometimes we are saying the same thing, 
but we're speaking different languages and not taking the time to listen to one another, to understand the language that the other is speaking. So we don't need to beat each other down and hold our views regardless of who's wrong or right because just because we don't want to be defeated. Instead, I challenge you, I challenge me to humble myself before God and my fellow Christians and acknowledge the parts where I am wrong. And the only true right, the only true right is in Christ who calls us to love God be united and love our neighbor. We can, as Christians, all agree on those words from Christ. In fact, how can we not do this? Jesus did this for us. He sought to maintain unity with us, although we were at odds with God. We too, who are in Jesus, are to love others, especially our enemies, which unfortunately, can sometimes be the church, because Jesus loved us this very way. As the scriptures say in 1 John 3, 23, we are to believe in the name of Jesus and love one another. So, brothers and sisters at LifeBridge, this is my personal challenge, and a challenge that I have been working through intensely the past few years, and I extend it to all of you, the love, the grace, the unity that Christ brings to us. If you would bow with me in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this Sunday and this opportunity to worship. We are so mindful that so many places in the world, people do not have the opportunity to worship, and we are grateful for this place, this space, this time, these people, and your word. We lift up LifeBridge, Lord, and we thank you for the ministry, for the people, for the commitment of this congregation, and we just ask for your continued guidance as we search for direction, as we search for ways that you would call us to work in our own lives and in the community around us. Now we ask your blessing, Lord, on the rest of this service, on this week ahead, and we ask, Lord, that you would help each and every one of us as we continue to learn and grow and deepen in your word to become more and more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the LifeBridge podcast. For more information about our church, please visit lifebridgedover.org. There you'll be able to find out more about the church community, our ministries, ways to get involved, recommended resources, and to give. Be sure to subscribe to receive new episodes directly into your podcast feed. Well, we are glad that you're checking out our podcast feed. We believe that the New Testament teaches that church worship is to be experienced weekly, in person, within your local church community. Thus, we encourage you to either join us in person for Sunday morning worship or to find and commit to a local gospel-centered church community in your neighborhood. Thanks.